Amen. As you're finding your seat, uh, take out your Bible to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5 is where we're going to be today. It was 1980 that one of the uh, greatest sports feats in the history of all sports took place. Um, You had this mammoth of a team that should win because they had continued to win going up against this team of amateurs who shouldn't even have been in the same arena. And what you had take place in 1980, I didn't personally witness it because I wasn't born yet, but I wish I did, um, was what we're going to watch on the screen right here. So I literally just watched that an hour and a half ago and still got the same cold chills that I did an hour and a half ago. That is one of the... um, greatest videos. I love hearing Al Michaels, who is the commentator right there, say, do you believe in miracles? And I'm like, yes, I do, Al, yes. I love, I love that scene. Um, Here's what you had going on, 1980, the Olympics. You had the USSR who had won the last three gold medals. They had won four out of the last five gold medals in hockey. And they were uh, comprised primarily of professional athletes going up against the United States team who was comprised of amateurs, comprised of, of collegiate athletes who um, should not have been, as I mentioned earlier, in the same arena with this team. And what you have here is you have this formidable foe, USSR, um, who should not be beaten, hasn't been beaten, um, and they're playing in the semifinal game to decide who goes to the gold medal game. And as you see there, we get the famed Miracle on Ice where we see this U.S. team beat this team that they shouldn't. How were they able to do that? They were able to do that because they were able to rally around this one idea of winning gold. If we can rally behind this idea of winning gold and we can play as a team, they made a movie about this, we can play as a team and we can rally behind this idea, we might can actually accomplish what we've set out to do. And we see in Acts chapter 5 that we're in a similar place as what we saw in this video. At this point in the book of Acts, the apostles have been given this monumental task of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. Taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. This was almost impossible at this time because of travel. How would the gospel get to the ends of the earth? But before they even begin to ask that question, they are faced with opposition from the get-go. They're faced with opposition. They've already been, Peter and John have been arrested once in Acts chapter 4. And now the apostles, Peter and John and a few others, are arrested for the same offense. They're arrested for the exact same thing. So they're faced with this decision. The apostles. Do we we go quietly, kind of end of the night, kind of shut it down for a few days, a few weeks, a few years, and just kind of forget about Christ for a while. Maybe come back to it later, but let's, they've told us to stop talking, we'll let it die down. Or, because we have been told by the king of the universe that we take his message to the ends of the earth, do we stand firm and boldly proclaim Jesus even in the face of opposition? What do we do? And I would say that in 2020, we're probably in not much different a scenario than the apostles in terms of we live in a, even in the South, 
very post-Christian society. Jesus, the name of Christ, the church in general, is not revered like it once was. Talking about Jesus is not um, as simple as it once was, and people are, in some regards, less likely to want to listen to what you have to say about Christ. So we as the church of, of the 21st century are faced with this. Do we back off from talking about Jesus because we don't want to disrupt our own social standing? Back off from talking about Jesus to those people who we've already have established relationships with because we're worried that it might alter those? Or do we back off from talking about Jesus because we don't want to seem as, as judgy uh, as, as we would think? Or do we boldly and unashamedly say, no, you know what? If Jesus has changed my life, altered my eternity and changed my current life, I can't help but to talk about him. And today in the book of Acts, we're going to see that the apostles were faced with that and they chose to go in a certain direction. They chose to go in a certain direction. There's many ways we could, we could pick apart this passage. We could have 10, 12 points because it's such a long text. We could probably have one, but I have two for you this morning. These apostles are about doing gospel ministry above all else. They're about preaching Jesus. And if we're going to do that in 2020, here's the first thing we've got to know. That the gospel boldly confronts. If you're going to preach Jesus, the gospel boldly confronts. God, up until this point, has been doing great things through his people. Signs and wonders. Verse uh, 14 in chapter 5 says that more believers were added to the Lord. This movement hasn't stopped. Jesus left, ascended to heaven, sent the Holy Spirit, and now this movement is only begun. But what happens is it upset the, the religious prestige of the day, the Sanhedrin the Sadducees and the Pharisees. They were bothered by this because for one, they did not believe Jesus to be God. And two, the more that this spread and the more that Jesus's movement kept going, the less power and authority they would have. So it says they became jealous and they wanted to stop this. So here you have Peter and John, the other apostles, they're, they're living life they're doing what they do. They're sharing Jesus. And because of what God is doing, because of what God is doing is so evident, it can't help but to be noticed. So the apostles are arrested for the second time. This time, all of the apostles. <clears throat> you had Peter and John arrested the first time. Now you have Peter and John and other apostles arrested. And they are thrown in jail for preaching Jesus. But something happens while they're in jail. During the night, an angel of the Lord comes and releases them and tells them this. Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. This life meaning uh, the life of Jesus. Go into the temple and speak all the words of this life. These men were so willing to obey the Lord's mission that this angel of the Lord set them free. And they could have run they could have said, you know what, we will go preach again one day, but not right now because right now we're in jail and we kind of want to let this die down for a little bit. So we'll go preach later. But the angel of the Lord said, no, I want you to preach in the temple at daybreak. So what happens? When daybreak came, they, they went to preach in the temple. It cannot be overstated. These men could have run. 
These men could have, uh, for the sake of not wanting to be punished, they could have left and said, we will, we will run and hide for a little bit. Like I said, let this die down and then come back. But they did not. They went into the temple. This had to throw the Sanhedrin. It had to throw the council. It, it does me. Like, I would have thought, you know what, if you're going to set me free, like, I'm going to go chill for a little bit, and I'll come back and talk about Jesus later. That's not what they did. They went in the middle of the temple where they would have been seen and where it would have been heard. So then they begin preaching, and the council says, hey, we want you to go bring these prisoners back to us. The guards go and say, there's no prisoners in there by the name of Peter and John and the rest of the apostles. So they go in the middle of the temple, and they find them preaching the gospel. They find them preaching the gospel, and then what happens is honestly my favorite part of this passage. They grab them. It says they don't want to with force bring them because they were afraid of the, of the people, so they bring them back. So I want you to picture this with me. These apostles, most likely rag-like clothing, probably not very intellectual. They probably have bags underneath their eyes because they hadn't slept all night, you know. And they are standing in front of this group of men who are well thought of, prestigious, who are dressed well, and who uh, have more intellectual capacity than they have. And they are questioned and on trial. And listen to what the Sanhedrin says to them. We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. They're trying to threaten them. They're trying to make them upset. We strictly charge you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. They're looking at the apostles saying, hey, we told you not to do this, and you continue to do it. It's like when you tell your kids, I told you once, I'm, I'm not going to tell you again. Don't do that. And then they even take it a step further. They say, you're, you're trying to say that we killed him. You're trying to bring this guy's blood upon us. And look at what comes out of Peter's mouth. We must obey God rather than men. If you're going to look at probably the most important people in your world who are telling you not to do something, and you say, sorry, but we're going to obey God rather than you. That is That is bold. Peter, it's, it's like he's saying, you know what? Let me tell you something. You don't want me to bring this man's blood upon you? Well, too late, because you are the ones that killed him. So I'm just going to go continue to preach about him. Peter kind of has this, this three-point sermon wrapped up in one. He says, Jesus was killed and God raised him from the dead. He was clear to say that God raised him from the dead because he wanted the Sanhedrin to know that Jesus, who had claimed to be God, actually was the Son of God, and he said, Jesus, whom you killed, God raised from the dead. And this is what he said next. Jesus is now exalted above all. He is our Savior and leader. So he is looking at the religious leaders and saying, you're not the leader anymore. Jesus is actually the one who's exalted and above all else. And he says, you know what? We have witnessed what happened in his life, and we are not going to stop talking about it. That is bold. That is bold for Peter to do this. Uh, Bruce, the commentator, says this. The authority of the Sanhedrin was great. But greater still was the authority of him who commissioned them to make the good news known. Think about this with me. In the midst of standing before this group of people, they still preach Jesus. Here's what I want us to realize from that. We could, we could take away several things, talking about their boldness, but one thing I want us to realize is, is they didn't waste a moment. I'm not going to lie to you. I've lived much of my life. I wouldn't say this, but I have lived this. Uh, until the last six months to a year, I've lived much of my life thinking that I will have another opportunity to share Jesus with somebody I see. 
whether it's an acquaintance, whether it's a friend, whether it's somebody I, I, I hang out with some or not, I have lived with this mindset that I will have another opportunity. And you know what? I may not. The apostles didn't waste a moment to share Jesus. And I'll tell you where I found this to be the most ideal for me. That is in the line at the restaurant named Subway. All right? I go to Subway probably once, twice, maybe six times a week. And I stand in line at Subway, and here's what happens. When about, I don't know, a month or two ago, some of our high school guys were playing ball in here on a Sunday night. And I left here, and I was sweaty and nasty and everything. I walk into Subway. It closes at 9 o'clock, and I walked in there. I was one of those people. I walked in at 8.55. Yeah, yeah, sorry. And I walked in at 8.55, and I, I go in there, and this guy said, he was probably a kid, maybe 16, 17 years old. He said, you're one of those guys. And I said, I'm one of those guys, all right? And I, I go up to the counter, and um, he asked me, he said, well, you been to the gym tonight? And I said, no, I, I've, I've been playing ball with some high school guys at my church. He said, okay. And right then, I felt God saying, Adrian, you, you need to share with this guy. So I, I was just like, um, told him the sub that I wanted and said, you know, I, I got some, let's say, let's say wheat bread. I got some wheat bread. And I said, yeah, I said, I was playing ball with some guys at my church. Do you go to church anywhere? And, and he said, uh, he said, yeah, I go sometimes. Like, you know, sometimes I'll go with my girlfriend in Morganton, and sometimes I'll go uh, uh, just by myself. But typically, unless I don't go with her, I don't go to church. And I was like, okay, okay. Um, well, let me ask you this. How long have you been going to church? He said, about a year or two. And I said, uh, um, let me ask you another question. Do you have a relationship with Jesus? And he said, yeah, I think so. And I was like, can I get some lettuce on that? Let me, uh, let me ask you another question. <laughs> and I began to talk to him, honestly, while I'm ordering, just in between saying, I want provolone cheese, I want lettuce, I want green peppers. I get to this point, and I'm just in the process saying, hey, um, do you, uh, um, so how do you know that you're a Christian? He began to tell me and uh, finally get to the end of the line, kind of tell him what I want to finish with my sub. And, and I was just like, well, listen, you need to know that uh, it doesn't matter if you go to church or where you go to church or, or whatnot. I just want to make sure that you have a relationship with Christ. And we finished that conversation. And honestly, I walked in about a week later and had a, a, a little bit further conversation, maybe a couple weeks later. And he told me about how he had been to church since then every Sunday and, and how he realizes that's a, something he's got to do to grow in his walk with Christ. I'm going to tell you something. If you like going to Subway, that is the primary place to share the gospel. And here's why. Because they can't go anywhere. <laughs> and due to, due to customer service, they're not going to say anything bad back to you probably. <laughs> like legitimately, can I get some lettuce? Do you know Jesus? Like go there. It works. And, 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 and it might throw them off, but who cares? That's a primary place to do that. Here's what I want to let you know. I've lived my, most of my life thinking that I will just share Jesus with somebody later. And God, thankfully, is beginning to change in me and, and thankfully, hopefully, beginning to change in you this idea that, you know what, we are given people in front of us at certain moments and we need to take those moments just like the apostles did. They could have thought, you know, we're not going to share Jesus with these guys because they might throw us back in jail, so we'll wait and share later. But they did not waste a moment. They were willing to confront with the gospel. They weren't trying to create conflict, but I'm just going to let you know, if you're speaking of Jesus, there will be a time that it confronts. If you're speaking of Jesus, there will be a time that it confronts, and boy, did it ever. Look at verse 33. It says that it, 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 it confronted them so much that it filled them with rage. 
They were enraged. The word used there is the same word used for being so mad you're mad to the core. Like you're so angry that you can't even think straight. These guys, when, when Peter looked at them and said, you did kill Jesus, God raised him from the dead, and we're not going to stop talking about it, it made these guys so mad that they began to try to kill them. It confronted that strongly, and here's what happened. It was stopped really quickly by a man named Gamaliel. Listen to what he says. He says, he starts to talk about two guys, Thutis and Judas the Galilean. And he says, you remember when those guys rose up years ago and they claimed to be somebody, they, they claimed that they were something, they were killed and what happened to their followers? They dispersed and they scattered. So he tells them this, he says, in this present case I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or undertaking is of man, it will fail, but it, if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. It might even be, you might even be found opposing God. Now, Gamaliel wasn't a Christian. He wasn't a Christian sympathizer. He wasn't on their side, but he was simply saying, if this is of God, you're not going to stop it. And if it's not of God, it's going to die out. So don't worry about it. God used him in that moment. But before I go on, I want to make something clear <clears throat> that we can't use this as a biblical principle. If something is succeeding, then that means it's of God, and if it's not succeeding, it is not of God. That's not the biblical principle that's overlaying all of Scripture. It's what's used this moment. Things, some things uh, succeed at times that are not of God. They prosper for a season that are not of God, and sometimes what appears to be an apparent failure is not because it was done so out of obedience to God, which means it didn't fail. But here, Gamaliel is simply saying this, that Thutis and Judas the Galilean were killed and their followers dispersed. But when Jesus was killed, we've got to know this, it launched a movement that spans the globe and has yet to be stopped. Do you realize that? People have, have risen up over the years claiming to be something. And it's lasted for some time. Jesus came 2,000 years ago and that movement has not stopped yet. It will not and it can't stop. These men are bold and they're about one thing and that's moving the gospel forward. So these apostles were, were bold and they were, they were their, their, their group was not necessarily large, but they were willing to say, you know what, if we want to see a move of God in our generation, it's going to take us being bold and fearless, even in the midst of persecution. And I would say living out your faith and proclaiming Jesus in 2020 means that it's going to confront people. It's going to confront their sin. It's going to confront attitudes. It's going to confront the way they live, the way they work. If you proclaim Christ, it's going to confront. We can't think that sharing Jesus is going to be simple in such a way that we're not going to get any pushback. Because if Jesus himself received pushback, his apostles received pushback, we're going to confront some things that people do not want to hear when we're sharing the gospel. And we've got to decide, are we going to boldly confront or are we going to back down? Because if we do, if we boldly confront, we're going to be able to see our second truth, which is this. The gospel boldly rejoices. The gospel boldly rejoices. Before the Sanhedrin let the apostles go, they called them in once again. They, they, Gamaliel sent them out. They brought them back in and said, listen, we're going to tell you one last time. One last time. Don't speak of this name. 
In Acts 4, they said, don't speak of this name, and they let him go. This time they said, we're going to tell you one last time, don't speak of this name, but before we let you go, we're going to beat you. Now, we don't know how they actually did this, but if what happened to the apostles was typical in that day, what you had was you had, a, you had three ropes, and they were tied together to make one rope, and and as they're being tied together, you put pieces of bone and pieces of, of, of glass and pieces of metal and rock. You put that in there. And then when you whip someone, you, you whip them, and that, that whip will wrap around them, and then you pull, hoping to take flesh away from your bone. It's how Jesus was beaten. It's most likely how these guys were beaten. Yet it says that after they were beaten, most likely 39 times, with that rope intended to pull flesh away from bone. Look at what it says. They left the presence of the council rejoicing, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for his name. It's one thing to rejoice when you win. Like I won today, I'll rejoice. It's another thing to be dishonored and to be beaten and still walk away and say, I will praise God that I was counted worthy to be called his follower. John Stott says this, they, the apostles, they left the Sanhedrin, their backs cruelly lacerated and bleeding, yet rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for his name. I'll be honest with you, if you're in this room and you're below the age of maybe 21, 22, you're in college or you're in high school, middle school, elementary school, there's going to be a time that if you live out your faith and you you uh, live for Christ, you proclaim Jesus, you will at some point be dishonored. Someone will at some point look at you and say, why are you talking and living that way? They may not say it exactly like that, but they will bring dishonor to you. Are you willing to, as the apostles did, boldly rejoice that, you know what, if I live out my faith and I proclaim Jesus and people call me out for it, I am okay with that because they are actually saying I am doing what I said I was going to do, which is be a follower and proclaimer of Jesus. Some of you, when you go into work, it's going to happen to you in the same way. Are you willing to boldly proclaim the gospel and then boldly rejoice. These men were beaten almost to the point of death, yet they walk away rejoicing. Any of y'all ever been in an argument with somebody that they will argue you down to the, I mean, I'm talking about until, until they die. Like, they just will. They'll argue the paint off the wall, right? So, some of y'all are, are looking around like, yep, that is you right now. You're the one who can do that. What can you do with those people? Nothing. Well, you just can't. Some people will argue it doesn't matter. If you prove them wrong, they're going to continue arguing because they're not going to lose. You can't do anything with those kind of people. And here's the thing. What can you do with someone who doesn't care to die? Nothing. These apostles were like, okay, throw us in jail. We'll preach Jesus. Beat us 39 times in one of the worst kinds of scourging that we can have. We'll preach Jesus. Kill us. We'll go down preaching Jesus. It's the, 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 there was a disciple of John, his name was Polycarp. Super cool name, I wish I had a cool name like that. But he was about right at the turn of the first century. He was being taken to be burned at the stake. And he was going to be burned, and they asked him one last time. They said, will you turn back from the name of Jesus? And here's exactly what he said. While he is walking into this fire, he looked at them and he said this, 80 and 6 years, so 86 years, I have uh, not stopped following Jesus and he has never failed me, so I will not stop now. The 
this man was willing to walk into this fire saying, go ahead and kill me. I don't care. You can do whatever. I will boldly proclaim the gospel and I'll boldly rejoice knowing that I am doing what God has told me to do, not what you have told me to do. The persecution only intensified their, their fervor and their energy to share Jesus because in Acts 6.1 it says that more disciples were increasing. The threats of the Sanhedrin, you know what it did for these guys? Nothing. It just spurred them on to want to share Jesus more. I just mentioned throughout church history, persecution is the fuel that lights the spread of Jesus. As Christians are persecuted in various places. What happens? They scatter. What happens when Christians scatter to other places? They take the gospel to those places. We've got to realize this. The apostles were arrested for preaching the gospel. They were freed from prison to go preach the gospel. They stood before the Sanhedrin and preached the gospel. And after being set free with the beating, they went and preached the gospel. If we would adopt the mindset of Peter in, in Acts 5.29 that says we will obey God rather than men, then even the gates of hell cannot prevail against that. What did Jesus say in Matthew 16? He said that even the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. Think about that for a moment. The most powerful evil force in the universe cannot even hold a candle to what Jesus can do through his people when we boldly take the gospel to lost people. And when we do that, it brings us joy. If you've ever done that, as Dave was saying, Meredith runs into the truck to with joy say, this guy turned me down today, but I shared the gospel. She boldly confronted and boldly proclaimed Jesus, and she rejoiced because of it. How can we go to impoverished countries like Senegal and Ecuador and have joy in doing ministry in those countries? Because gospel ministry energizes us. It energizes us to do the things that God has called us to do. But here's something else that's super cool about this passage. Gamaliel, the guy I mentioned earlier, the guy who stood up and said, hey, don't hurt these men. Just let them go. If it's of God, it'll continue. You can't stop it. And it's not of God, then it'll die out. Gamaliel had a prized pupil. He had a prized student. That prized student uh, would later be known for hating Christians, killing Christians, persecuting Christians. His prized student would be known for throwing Christians in jail because they, uh, he hated them. But then one day, God got a hold of his heart, changed him, and that prized student who of Gamaliel's was actually named Paul. Paul wrote the book of Philippians, and when he wrote the book of Philippians, he was in a jail cell. After he had persecuted Christians, and thrown them in jail. He is now being thrown in jail for the same Jesus that he once persecuted. He is in a jail cell awaiting his execution. Most likely he's chained to a wall, so his words are actually being spoken and somebody else are taking him down. And this is what he says to the Philippians while he's in a jail cell awaiting his, uh, his execution for preaching Jesus. He says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel. Paul says, I'm in prison, but it's actually advanced the gospel. How? So that it became known throughout the whole imperial guard and everyone else that my imprisonment is because of Christ. Paul is in a prison beside the household of Caesar, and he said, had I not been put in prison, all of these people, all of these people, none of them would have ever heard of Jesus. But I thank God that I was placed here because he is using me now to preach Jesus to these people who would have never heard it. 
Now skip down to verse um, 18. What does it matter only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed? And in that I rejoice. Paul said, I don't care the situation I'm in. Later in Philippians, he said, it doesn't matter to me if I have a lot, if I have a little, if I'm rich, if I'm poor, if I have anything to eat. It doesn't matter as long as Christ is preached. I'm good. He rejoices in the midst of being in a jail cell saying, you know what? Jesus, his movement is going forward, and I want to be a part of it. And do you realize that if you're a follower of Jesus in here this morning, you don't have to be a part of what he's doing You're not made to be a part of what he's doing. If you're a follower of Christ, you get to be a part of what God's doing. We actually get to be a part of this movement that Jesus started that is spanning the globe. We get to be a part of that. Our student ministry had this goal at the start of the year. We wanted to reach 300 gospel conversations. This is back all the way in August. 300 gospel conversations or invites. You can invite someone, and as long as they come with you, you get to count that. And we have this scoreboard over there that you get to drop ping pong balls in there. It's starting to rise, and I'm thankful for that. But we had this because we realized that among 3,000 or so middle school and high school students in McDowell County, chances are 27 to 2,800 of them are lost. So for teachers in our school system for students, would, would, would you as the rest of the church begin praying for them that they would boldly take the gospel to a mission field that's right down the road? Not that we just reach some number, but that lost people hear the gospel and get saved. If we're going to reach 300 gospel conversations met here at Grace, it's, 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 it's going to be because people boldly take the gospel to the people you work with, to the people that you know, to your family, wherever. It's going to be because you boldly take it. And I'm going to finish with this. We can, we can be bold. And we can, t- we, can, we can confront. And we can even in some place in the world take a beating with joy. Because Jesus took the ultimate beating for us. We can boldly take Jesus to people because he took our beating for us. You realize that Jesus was in heaven. And he was being praised every single day. For eternity. But he realized one day that the, the very people he created, sin crept into their world and now sin was ruining their world. And because of sin, these people that he created were going to die and they were going to spend eternity away from him because there cannot be sin in the, the presence of God because he's perfect and holy. So what did he do? He stepped down from his place in heaven, became a baby, lived a life just like you and me, except he did it perfectly. He did it without blemish. He never once sinned. He never once said anything bad, did anything bad, and then ultimately he was condemned because he claimed to be God, which he is and was. And he died by being crucified on a tree, taking our condemnation for us so that when you place your faith in Christ, all the condemnation that God has toward your sin, he places onto Jesus and that condemnation on you is lifted and then you have a life that is changed and an eternity that is different. Jesus took that for us so that we can then boldly take him to lost people. I realize I could... I could finish this sermon with amazing stories. You can, you can obviously tell I love church history. But men like C.T. Studd, he was, a, he, he was part of the Cambridge Seven, and he went to a, he was a world, world-class athlete. 
But God placed a call on his life to, to go to China and ultimately then go to, to part of Africa. Giving up what he was known for to go serve God or men like Adoniram Judson who realized there was a place called Burma which is right next to India. It's a place called Burma where the gospel had never been so he went there back in the 18th century and in the process he his, his first wife went with him. She died of a disease there. He married again. She died. He, he saw so much suffering, but yet at the same time realized, you know what? These people here are lost, and I don't want them to go to hell. But here's the thing. Chances are none of you are going to leave here, get on a plane, and go to India, go to Burma, or go to China to share the gospel with somebody. But you're going to leave from this place. You're going to go home. You're going to eat lunch. You're going to fall asleep tonight, you're going to wake up and you're going to go to work tomorrow. And the person that you work beside, if they don't know Christ, are just as lost as the person in China or India. And I'm asking you now, will you take the gospel to that person? Will you take it to them? Because you literally may be the only beacon of light that they ever hear or see. So I want to ask you to do something right now. I want to ask you to go ahead and bow your heads. And I want you to ask God to bring that person to mind. Some of you already know who that person, who he or she is. And I want you to begin praying for them right now. And then I want you to pray for your own boldness to take the gospel and proclaim Jesus to them. God, we come before you now um, humbled that you would <clears throat> take a beating for us, that you would die for us. But Jesus, we praise you that you didn't stay dead. You rose and defeated the one thing which we cannot defeat, which is death. And you are sitting on the throne of the universe, ruling and reigning. God, I pray right now for those who are, who are being brought to minds all over the room. Maybe it's a a family member who doesn't know you, a coworker who doesn't know you, I pray that you would go ahead and begin to prepare their hearts to hear about you, Jesus. And I pray for those in this room and, and churches all over the county, churches all over the world. I pray for believers to, to be encouraged and, and spurred on to, to share you, Jesus. God, I pray that we would be able to witness a move of you in our, in our lifetime because people were bold to take you and take your message, the good news of the gospel, to lost people. God, we thank you that you allow us to be a part of what you're doing. And I pray for boldness and wisdom for those of us in the room that will take this gospel message out of here. I pray for boldness to take the opportunity to share wisdom, to know what to say, God. And I pray that you would then fill our mouths with what you desire for us to say to the people that we know you want us to share with. In Jesus' name, amen.